Hey there, this is Considering Charlotte. This is a mini-series that I've decided to do with uh, some people that I respect. Last week we had Amy with us, and she's going to join us every other week. Today we've got Odell with us, and he's going to be with us every other week. Lonnie and Joe and Simon have planned to be with us every week, but Simon let us know this morning that his brother unexpectedly died, and so he's attending upon his family's needs in this time. So before we get into today's topic, I just wanted to offer a brief prayer for Simon and his family. Would you pray it with me? Lord, we thank you for Simon and the fact that he's willing to join us and, and help us to understand things in a very different context. He has is, he is really uh, put up with a lot of um, the things that a, a lot of people don't have patience for, and, and right now he doesn't have any choice, Lord. Um, he's been deprived of his brother, and he has a family in mourning. And we ask, Father, that you would um, give him the strength needed for this hour, that you would grant comfort and consolation to his loved ones, and that, uh, that you would grant peace even in the midst of sorrow. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this is the second episode. If you haven't seen our, our first episode, we just talked about the logistics of how General Conference works, what it is that everybody should anticipate seeing in April, and how it is that the, the power dynamics and legislative process all work there. So that is a worthy conversation. If you haven't already watched it or listened to it, we hope that you will. This conversation is going to be on the topic of human sexuality. This, in many ways, is the uh, central point around which everything else is, is rotating. Um, civil society in America has largely spun on this issue and gone a certain way. And then the question is, uh, can the church go with the world in that way? Uh, how do we come alongside the world, minister to the world? But fundamental issues around uh, what, what forms of human sexual behavior and identity are sinful and offensive to the Lord. Um, part of this is theological, dealing with Article uh, 7 of the Articles of Religion, whether or not our, our original sin, birth sin, at all extends to human sexuality, and if there's any overlap here, or if the, the scriptures or articles we have are signposts of a, a previous era that are uh, representative in some ways of God's love, but in other ways do not need to govern us uh, strictly now. These issues, these ways of talking around human sexuality, around behavior versus identity, how to deal with the Bible, all these conversations have been had, are being had by other people, we don't need to have it here and now. That's not the purpose of this podcast. Rather, what we're doing in this episode today is we're talking about the different petitions and legislative efforts and caucus groups and how it is that they're going to come together at General Conference here in April and attend upon issues relating to human sexuality. In particular, the, the exact areas of, of conflict are, will the denomination ordain gay people, practicing gay people, um, and will they uh, allow clergy to marry um, self-avowed practicing gay people? Up until now, the position of the denomination has been that these things are not compatible with the Christian faith, and so no gay clergy, no uh, gay marriages. But as most people know, what's in writing has not been the state on the ground in many annual conferences and entire jurisdictions. So this is something that's caused a lot of friction. Right now there are two bishops in the Western jurisdiction that are openly and avowedly gay, uh, a man and a woman. And so this is an issue that's not going to go away. It's, it's not going to be legislated 
away necessarily. So there's there's this question of what there is to be done about it, and different people have different ideas, and that's what all this is going to be about. So uh, that's me presenting the issue broadly. I thought it'd be wise for us to look to Lonnie first in talking about the history of legislative efforts up to this point to deal with human sexuality. Lonnie, would you be willing to do that for us? Yes, thank you, Jeffrey. Uh, whereas uh, I have not been involved from the beginning, uh, I have been certainly attentive uh, since the beginning of the process. Uh, there's some sense, at least, in which uh, this issue came to the fore uh, in the church uh, as a point of contention uh, was in 1972. Uh, in 1968, we had three churches that merged, or excuse me, uh, two churches that came together to form the United Methodist Church. That was the Evangelical United Brethren Church and the Methodist Church. They merged to form the United Methodist Church. And uh, that conference was focused pretty tightly on just getting that, uh, that, that merger done. Uh, and many of the issues that were going to have to be faced uh, that you have to get straightened out in, in making a church that, that's going to go forward uh, as, a, as a, a functioning organization were postponed. Uh, and the, uh, the church then came together in the General Conference of uh, uh, 1972 to take care of the things that had been left aside, like uh, uh, coming up with a a theological statement, uh, the, and that was an extremely important piece of the work. Uh, in the in the process of, of working through those matters, uh, almost spontaneously, it seems, uh, a a motion was made from the floor. There was n nothing in in writing preparing for this, but one of the one of the delegates uh, made a motion to insert in the language. Uh, in, in the social principles, the phrase homosexuality, and I'm paraphrasing here, what, I'm not quoting the whole thing, but it, uh, the, the language was homosexuality is incompatible with Christian teaching. Uh, and that was, that was the beginning of the, of the matter. That, that uh, motion was carried, and that language was included then uh, at that time uh, in the social principles. Uh, I don't think anybody present actually had any idea the scope of the debate and the controversy that would would uh, flow from that that little act of putting that language in. Um, and the next step of significance, it seems to me, uh, revolving around that that debate that then ensued uh, about that was uh, a a legal case that came before the Judicial Council uh, about how that was to, was to be enforced, what was going to be the way in which the church uh, lived out uh, that uh, claim that homosexuality was incompatible with Christian teaching. And it that ended up with the Judicial Council ruling, uh, as far as I know for the first time, that the social principles were a guide to uh, how Christians, United Methodist Christians at least, uh, ought to live, but it was not law of the church. 
so that, in fact, uh, there was no enforceability uh, requirement for action based on this claim that homosexuality was incompatible with Christian teaching. Uh, the next legislative uh, thrust then of those who supported the inclusion uh, and the effect, that the, the hoped effect of that language was to uh, not to remove it from the social principles, but to leave it there, but also to include it uh, within the body of, of, of the portion of the Book of Discipline that was law of the church, and uh, they had the votes to get that done. Uh, and uh, in fact, then uh, every succeeding general conference from there on that I can recall uh, dealt with the issue of whether or not, and there was a strong faction of the church on either side, one side uh, uh, with various petitions and motions to remove or, or to, uh, to weaken the requirements that flowed from that or to go the other way and to strengthen those requirements. And one of the significant things to remember uh, in, in looking at the history of this issue is that uh, though the debate was always spirited, was in fact probably even safe to say rancorous, uh, the outcome was always the same through that whole period of time. And we're talking about a 50 year period here uh, that by strongly supported votes, the, the movement either to strengthen or certainly to leave in place the language and uh, the uh, increasingly uh, uh, restrictive requirements uh, was, was supported almost every time by about a two-thirds margin uh, that uh, if, if it had been a constitutional issue, it would, would almost certainly have been carried because uh, the votes in favor of, of strengthening the restrictive language carried usually by about two to one. Uh, so that it was, it was clear uh, that uh, the restrictive side was, was carrying the issue. Uh, and the, the increasing restrictions were, uh, first of all, to, in, to say that uh, our churches could not, uh, or excuse me, that, that our, 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 our uh, conferences and bishops could not uh, or approve or, or, uh, or ordain a clergy who were LGBTQIA+, uh, that uh, they could not be appointed to service in the church. And then to go as far as saying that uh, our, our clergy could not uh, marry same-sex couples or, or uh, could not bless uh, holy unions of same-sex uh, couples, and that our churches could not be host to, uh, to these kinds of unions and marriages. <clears throat> and then, uh, in addition to that, we added restrictive language that said that our, our agencies and our 
conferences could not uh, spend the church's money uh, to promote the acceptance of homosexuality. Uh, and uh, that's kind of the package that we're dealing with now uh, that uh, is restrictive of uh, the full participation in the life of the church of the LGBTQIA plus uh, community. I, I think that uh, summarizes where we are uh, and uh, what we're dealing with in terms of uh, what's likely to be before us, what is before us, and what was likely to be dealt with here at the upcoming General Conference. I think that's a helpful start. And before uh, Joe and Odell add texture to it, um, I, I should have thought to let our audience know that Lonnie, you are personally of the opinion that that LGBTQ uh, persons that that the position of the UMC should be liberalized to include them in all these ways. So you, whereas I'm a, a very conservative person, I think all these restrictions should be in place. And I know I'm pretty sure Joe's there with me. I actually don't know where Odell is, and that doesn't really matter. What what does matter is that as people listen to you talk about this history, they know that you're actually sympathetic um, theologically to the left on this particular issue. Have I, have I spoken correctly about you? You have, uh, Jeffrey. In fact, I have petitions uh, pending before the general conference uh, that uh, would call for the removal of the restrictive language. Uh, it's one of a host of these, and Odell's going to talk more about that too. Uh, what we're what we're faced with is actually a, th a theological issue here that I think it's important to remember is that uh, as Christians uh, we are we're called in two distinct ways that are somewhat in tension and we're we're all living in, in this tension and that is uh, the the clear message of Scripture uh, calls us to be faithful to law and covenant. But at the same time, we've got uh, on the other uh, side of this tension the, the clear call of the, the, not only the Scripture but the whole history of the Judeo-Christian movement uh, to be prophetic. And we find ourselves living in this tension uh, between the prophetic and the fidelity to law and covenant. And uh, uh, sometimes we find it very hard uh, to be uh, faithful to both those calls. So, guys, um, Odell and Joe, um, additional texture you'd like to add to what uh, Lonnie's been able to offer here? Any other pertinent factors before we get into the legislation? Sure. Odell, did you want to go first? Mm. Um, well, the only thing that I would add um, is that um, the, one of the dynamics that has changed in the United Methodist Church since 2000 is that we are now a global denomination. We're no longer an American denomination. And that has a different, that has introduced a different dynamic uh, with uh, Africans and Asians having a seat at the table and giving 
their particular uh, view, uh, as well as um, African Americans and Asian Americans and uh, Hispanic Americans in the United States. Um, and so that's the only other, uh, the sociological dynamic is what I would add for right now. And I would just add a historical note that back in 1972, when that language was first put in, it was, it was actually would have been rather unexceptional, the incompatible language at the time in general. If you think back to that era, um, you know, homosexuality was still listed as a mental illness in the DSM, which is the, the guidebook for the American Psychiatric Association. It wasn't changed till the year after. There were still anti-sodomy laws on the books of most states. Uh, the law books of most states and culturally if you you know it's interesting to go back and look at some of the comedians of that time or commentaries or just side comments in sermons or, or messages people had a very denigrating attitude towards people involved in same-sex behaviors so at the time when it was in, when the language that talked about all people having sacred worth and that homosexual persons no less than then uh, hetero have have sacred worth and should be treasured and should be loved and not ex not 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 hated or or discriminated against. That was a prophetic word that I think was appropriate. I'm proud of my church for doing that at that time, uh, reminding people that all people are human, no matter what their issues are. And I'm on the conservative side of where I think the behavioral issues are. I think what happened and if but what's happened since 1972 has been a sea change culturally, um, and and that has come come into the church as well, and. So now we're in a point, I guess, where the, the culture now generally embraces a variety of behaviors. And by the way, even since 2016, the last time we had a full general conference, the issues have changed and expanded. I don't think transgenderism was on too many people's radar in 2016, and that's only eight years ago. So, so, so we're kind of still focused on same-sex marriage and homosexuality when the culture has actually moved well beyond that in many ways. So I just would add those historical context notes. Yeah, before we move forward, there, there are just a couple other things that I think are necessary for understanding. When everybody gets together in April, there's some history that um, really is going to figure in whether we like it or not. We need to remember that after 2016, everything came to a head, and they hosted a special called conference in 2019 to solve this issue once and for all. However the verdict of that general conference was not acceptable to many in the West. And so for a, a lot of conservatives left whenever they came to understand that it didn't matter what legislation was held in place by a majority, they just knew that they were going to be dealing with people that were not going to compromise on this position. So as we're looking at these different legislative petitions now today, it's worth asking if there's, if there's anything that can be um, – ratified that would stop the, the, the march leftward of the denomination as it seems to be in place. I've only read one thing from Mark Holland, who represents um, mainline UMC, mainstream UMC, and um, he has said that if this position does not get liberalized, that, that he and many others are just leaving the denomination, which would just be catastrophic after losing 25% of its churches to the uh, conservatives leaving this last, so there's uh, there's a lot on the line here. That's that's the only reason I bring it up here. Um, Lonnie, in particular, do you agree with the way that I've rehearsed that? Yes, uh, Jeffrey, that that's real really fair. You know the uh, 
the deeper background there, and I think that might be important, was that uh, 2019 ended with a, a an a affirmation which was consistent with the the history I, I gave that uh, the those in favor of restrictive language have prevailed every time. There's been a vote on that, and uh, uh, what happened then as a consequence was that. Uh, the prophetic voice, rather than the law and covenant voice, uh, won the field in, in much of the church, predominantly Western jurisdiction and Northeastern jurisdiction. And they simply said, we will not abide by that. We're going to be prophetic on this uh, rather than uh, follow law and covenant as it's represented in our book of discipline. Uh, and we won't comply. Well, let's move on. Um, we're we're going to spend the bulk of the tail end of this addressing specific legislative proposals. But before we get into that, I, I asked Joe if he'd be willing to kind of uh, rehearse where the different uh, power bases are, the different constituencies that are going to be represented at the general conference and where they roughly align with this particular issue. So go ahead, Joe. Sure. So as I look through the... Um read through the, uh, the resolutions and the various uh, submitted legislative work, um, it seemed to me that it kind of falls in line with a sort of three, three general groupings that you find within the United Methodist Church. So you find on the one side the traditional conservative um, approach, which uh, a number of resolutions, and some of them are repetitive in what they propose. They want to retain the existing language. They want to strengthen it. Some, of, some add details that begin to uh, add other kinds of behaviors as well that are seen as outside the will of God um, and retain the, the, the enforcement, even though I think, as you've mentioned, that seems to be a moot point these days. Um, then I think you see a, another cluster of resolutions that have to do with sort of the big tent approach. They, they, um, they take out the restrictive language. They remove the, the restrictions saying you cannot ordain or, or marry same sex, but, but they're not compelling or they're not trying to, to impose that on all. They, at least one, maybe two of them have language that says something along the lines of, we acknowledge that the church is not of one mind, and we commit to continued dialogue and to, under, to better understanding. So this is the idea of having a, the, all the different perspectives allowed to, to, to function and to, to have that freedom. And then I think you have also those on the other uh, side, the more, the more progressive side or more extreme progressive side, which um, seem to be pushing more in the way of mandates. So you have uh, resolutions that are mandating on jurisdictional boards and agencies and things of that sort, that there have to be uh, uh, representation by people who identify as LGBTQIT, etc. Um, you have, I thought, the most remarkable one along those lines was uh, there's one resolution. I forget the author. I have too many papers here. Um, mandating a seventh special Sunday. Well, right now we have six special Sundays. You know, one great hour sharing. You know, Methodist Student Day that all have required offerings, and uh, this would add a seventh Sunday, and, and actually use the language, each church shall observe an LGBTQ, et cetera, Sunday in June, and then designates where the funds would go. And those, those things seem to be much more about trying to um, impose or, or upon all that perspective. And I think that leads to a question for you know, folks like me, one of the things I found lacking was any word about how they're going to protect those who have differences of, of, of perspective. So, um, I mean, I, I remember, I can't remember the, the delegate, I think it was in 2016, maybe it was 2012, who one of the 
activists on the progressive side get said something along the lines of we will not tolerate any pockets of discrimination within the church. Well, I think she means people like me who have a traditional view of marriage or churches that have that as their culture. Folks like that have been assured by bishops and, and centrists that you'll be free to practice in accordance to your conscience. But the question is, what protections will there be to ensure that? I don't see any written in the in any of the legislation that I read through anyway. And I think there will be a push to try to... You know, so what will that mean? Will that mean that um, people will, con will, will be condemned and demonized? Will that mean people will be excluded from boards? Um, and of course, a big issue we have in the denomination is trust in our leadership. So right now, our appointive system is such that bishops can appoint whomever they wish. Um, and so when a bishop says, I'm going to respect your culture of your church, can that be, do people trust that? So there's a lot of things that, that, that come out of it. But those three kind of general groupings is what I see kind of reflected in the, in the legislation and some of the concerns uh, that flow from them. Is that clear, I hope, or relatively clear? I was also going in the direction of, here, here's my two-dimensional understanding of the different constituencies at play at the general conference that are coming together my understanding is Africa largely is in favor of the traditionalist position. Mm -hmm. The Philippines, probably by a 70% a, a margin, are similarly mm -hmm. inclined towards the conservative uh, retention of language. When you look at Europe, it leans left generally. Mm -hmm. um, when you look at America, the ethnic minorities, in particular African-American and Korean-American, both of those lean right but the, the people running the general boards and agencies and the administrative structures of annual conferences and almost entirely the delegations now among the American annual conferences strongly lean left. So the, the picture I've had is that you have um, Western liberal elites pitted against global people, well, people of color, within the United States and globally. How much does that caricature fit the current setup, do you guys think? I'd say it's, it's probably relatively on target. Uh, I wouldn't say pitted against quite as strongly as that, but you do have, and that's one, of the, that's one of the concerns going forward is it looks like that because, as we mentioned in last week's program, the apportionment of delegates is such that the Americans will have a, a, a much larger share and it looks like there's going to be a majority progressive um, presence then. What's going to happen if indeed they change the teaching, they, they remove the restrictive language, or, or even go further and endorse some of the gender-affirming language? How is that going to play in Africa? How is that going to play in the Philippines? And especially if regionalization fails, and I always say we aren't going to go there today, but my suspicion is it will fail because of the supermajority is needed. Um, what's that going, you know, how, how will Africa react to that? Um, because they may come back four years later and have a clear majority. They could undo everything, which is interesting to think about. Yeah, Mark Holland has said, as we go left, we're just going to have to come to terms with the fact that we're going to lose Africa, and, and that's mm -hmm. going to have to be okay with us. Lonnie, I, I, yeah, I created a pretty two-dimensional picture. Does that fit, or do you think that there's more texture needed to understand the dynamics as, as you all come together in April? Well, I, I think it's not... Uh, purely binary, but it's pretty close to that. I, th I think your characterization was, was uh, uh, accurate enough to, to be a, a, a working uh, hypothesis or working 
a, a picture of the of the situation. With the, with this exception, I think it's it's a mistake to lump Europe together as a, as a monolithic entity because there's a clear distinct uh, distinction between the leaning of uh, Eastern Europe and that of Western Europe. The Eastern Europeans, uh, you know, and counting Russia as, for this purpose as, as European, uh, although most of Russia is in Asia. But nevertheless, uh, the Eastern Europeans are very, are very conservative on this issue, and the Western Europeans are very um, progressive on this issue. So that, I think that's a pretty important distinction to make. All right, so we're going to spend the last 30 minutes going through legislative petitions and, and the stuff that Odell in particular found interesting. I, I didn't know this about Odell, but he's kind of a policy wonk. He has it in him to go through all these petitions, and uh, I'm very grateful for that because I do not have that kind of brain. So, uh, Odell, let's defer to you and your leadership. Go whatever direction you want us to. Okay, so I do want to apologize, everyone. I'm having problems with uh, my video and so I'm going to turn the video off so that you can just hear me and we can go through some of this legislation that is before uh, the general conference. Um, I do want to make sure that everybody understands that as we go as delegates to vote for general conference, uh, the framing that some in the United Methodist Church in the United States have had is that this will be um, almost a United America versus the world kind of mentality when voting on human sexuality and, and the language. And, and there are some of us in the black church who are uh, very much in lockstep with our brothers and sisters in Africa when it comes to the legislation on human sexuality. And so we have some questions. And so I'm just going to bring, raise some questions with some of the legislation that is before us. Uh, the first is a petition. Uh, that is on page 207 of the ADCA, volume 2, section 1. And it's presented to us by Jan. She's from Washington, D.C. It's a petition number 20041. It is an update to the family. And it is to change the language uh, concerning what a family constitutes, which is very much rooted in Western liberalism. Um, and I find that to be all throughout the petitions that have been submitted overwhelmingly by Americans in the ADCA, that these petitions are rooted in Western liberalism. And this is the debate uh, that the, the world has with, for example, the Universal Declaration on Human Rights at the United Nations, that is very much a secular view of Western ideals rooted in a Protestant ethic that Africans and Asians have questions about and don't know that if that can be universal. And that's exactly what's happening in the United Methodist Church. Uh, because I agree with Joe, I don't believe that regionalization is going to pass. However, I want to make sure that everybody's clear that the language in the Book of Discipline concerning marriage is going to change. There are several petitions, including petition 20003, Building an LGBT Inclusive Church by Joseph from Seattle, which will strike the word man and be, um, 
between a man and a woman from the Book of Discipline. This is also in Petition 20021, Human Sexuality, Elimination of References to Homosexuality and Marriage by Becky, who's from Indianapolis. It also strikes, um, actually it deletes. I, I think it's deleting all the paragraph 161C um, concerning human sexuality or is that 161G, but in the, either way, it was adopted by the Indiana Annual Conference on June 8, 2019. So we have some questions, and so I really want to get into, I'm just going to go through a couple more, and then I want to get into um, some of the language, because for me, there is an ancient view on marriage in the Christian church, that the early church, which uh, has a more of an Afro-Asiatic Christian point of view, and is not rooted in the liberalism and the progressivism of the European Enlightenment that African Americans still subscribe to to this day. And so we have some questions, and so I'm going to raise those questions. On page 214, there's a local discernment of marriages and wedding services, which is to amend paragraph 161C, which would strike the language that marriage is um, between a man and a woman, and that, mm -hmm, I'm sorry, that is petition number 20711, and that's David from Houston who presented that, and that is striking man and woman from paragraph 161C in the Book of Discipline. And then in, what is it, Volume 2, Section 2, there is what, what Joe mentioned on page 639. This is Petition 20249. All belong, establish an LGBTQI LGBTQI Special Sunday, and we, I believe, have, let me turn to it real quick, six Special Sundays in the United Methodist Church, and those six are Human Relations Day, UMCOR Day, which is the United Methodist Committee on Relief, World Communion Day, United Methodist Student Day, Peace with Justice Day, and American Ministry Sunday. And this petition, um, 20249, would add LGBTQI Sunday. There's a petition by Joseph on page 650 of volume two, section two. It's uh, petition number 20258. It is building a fully inclusive church from Joseph in Seattle. And this is, in terms of the annual conference delegations, that we're going to expand it so that we are more inclusive of not just young people, making sure we have a certain percentage of young people. If I'm reading his uh, his legislation correctly that we're not just having a certain number of young people we're also going to have a certain number 
uh, or a certain number of, of ethnic American ethnic minorities that'll be delegates. We're also going to, as it relates to, I, I got some questions for Joseph, uh, make sure that there's a percentage, a quota of LGBT who will be serving as delegates. There's another one here that really is problematic, and this is rooted in the Western European liberal European Enlightenment interpretation of scripture that when black folks go to seminary, we have absolute questions about, and that is petition number 20161 on page 620 of volume two, section two. And that's submitted by David from Houston and is affirming the primacy and diversity of scriptural interpretation regarding human sexuality. And it reads that it's an amendment to paragraph 105 and it reads, we agree that scripture is the primary source of revelation, doctrine and criteria for Christian living. We also recognize that United Methodists do not agree on the best interpretation of scripture regarding human sexuality. I, I agree that we don't agree on how we interpret scripture on human sexuality, but I believe that is methodological and that is rooted in Western liberalism where the European Enlightenment is how everything should be interpreted. And for Africans and Asians, they have problems with that. And I'm going to be honest with you, African Americans have problems with that as well. So there's going to be some questions raised by, I know, black folks in the United States who will attend general conference as to why we have to read scripture and read marriage according to how Western liberals read scripture and read marriage. And I got to be honest with you, these are the implications that you're seeing in our politics here in the United States that there are black folk who are openly questioning the leadership of the Democratic Party because there's some concerns about um, it not representing the interest of black folk. And uh, black folks are really tired of, uh, Charles Blow is one example. Uh, he, he just came out last month or two months ago and said he's tired of begging to be recognized that the point of view of black folks be recognized and so i i'm going to say this that the book of discipline is going to change man and woman okay if you look at the percentage of churches that disaffiliated which is 25 percent most of those were traditionalists not all but most were traditionalists they are no longer serving on delegations. Um, that means that there's more liberals and progressives who will be serving on delegations at this general conference. I don't see in my crystal ball the book of language in the book of discipline not changing. Man and woman will be stricken from the book of discipline. Same-sex marriage will be approved. And uh, I know, as, as Joe stated, I, I second what Joe stated Regionalization is not going to pass, and that's going to put the United Methodist Church in a quandary. And I want to state, also affirm what Mark Holland stated about church people leaving with 
of voting with their feet and their wallet, that will definitely happen in the black church. Let me sum things up before we move forward, because what I think I understand you to be saying is two things. These petitions that you have pointed out that are revising understandings of social fabric and how the family unit works, they only require a 50% plus one vote to carry uh, because they don't require an amendment to the Constitution. But the regionalization plan does require an amendment, and so it has to pass by a two-thirds vote and then clear by two-thirds of the annual conferences voting on it. And Joe is nodding his head, so I'm thinking I've got that right. But the second part of what you're saying is what I what I think I'm understanding is that uh, African American, the black vote in particular, is not liberal in all the ways. While there has while there has been a cooperation between black folks and the Democrat Party, and there's been a, a cooperation between black folks and United Methodist leadership, uh, as as these two things, the Democrat Party and United Methodist leadership, and and there is a question about how much alignment there is there, um, the the relationship between them and African Americans is growing more and more uneasy as black folks seem to be getting the sense that um, these institutional forces are more concerned with social progressivism than uh, uh, advocacy for the poor and historically marginalized. And as as they continue forward in this legislative direction, that is probably going to seal the deal so far as whether or not uh, uh, black folks in the UMC feel like the leadership is on board with them and, and their values. H- how did I do? Uh, I would say that the easiest way for you to affirm um, the statement that you made is to go around and see how many black churches have rainbow flags on their steeple or how many black churches are a part of Reconciling Ministries Network. Um, I don't I don't see this as a I don't see a future for black churches in the United Methodist Church if same sex marriage passes. Uh, Joe, I, I, I think I have a sense for what you'll say to this, but Lonnie, I think we need to turn to you and just hear, th- does all this sound right so far, or do you think that there's another perspective needed? I am in no position whatsoever to correct anything that Odell has to say about the tendency of uh, uh, historically or predominantly uh, black United Methodist churches He's the authority on that, and I, I don't have any uh, corrective uh, to suggest there. Uh, I, I do know that the, 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 the attitude that prevails to some degree among progressives uh, that the church can come to one mind on this uh, and do so in persuasive fashion uh, in, a, in a way that will hold uh, going forward uh, is is uh, to live in a dream world that that is not likely to be the case and uh, the coalitions that have formed as I've said in print uh, uh, t- to support uh, full inclusion of gay and lesbian people is a fragile coalition for a whole lot of reasons um, and o- Odell may w- very well be right about appending uh, uh, further separation, uh, depending on what uh, what is enacted 
at General Conference, not only around the issue of sexuality, but there are other things uh, as well that uh, could endanger that kind of uh, uh, cohesiveness going forward. Um, we are we are in a precarious state now, and General Conference 2024, whatever we're going to call it, is likely not to be the oil on the water of that turbulence, uh, but the probability is that it's going to agitate it further. So what's been presented thus far, and then I'm going to turn to you, Joe, is um, Mark Holland and liberal leadership have said that if the position does not get liberalized, they're out. What we hear Odell saying is if the position does get liberalized, the black church is probably out. Um, and then so e either decision that gets made, another large constituency is leaving. The, the complicating thing being, is there even going to be a way out? And so we have a future episode coming up on legislative motions on allowing for continued disaffiliations for whoever is not happy to be a part of this in the future. But, but that's beyond the scope of today's episode. I just want to acknowledge it's headed in that direction. So if you were thinking this is going to be a one and done thing, you might stick with us uh, for that analysis. But Joe, where do we go from here? Is there anything else to be said about all that? I generally agree with the way that Odell has uh, certainly presented things from my perception of things. I'm not sure I believe Mark Holland um, because that's not what happened in 2019. Uh, if you remember 2019, that was supposed to be the special general conference that definitively determined the future course of the United Methodist Church, and they embraced the traditional plan. And that's why the disaffiliation piece was put in to allow progressives who could not in good conscience abide that to leave in a gracious way. They said, we're not going anywhere. We're not going anywhere until we see everybody you know, on board with what we think everyone should be on board with. So I'm not sure I believe him when he says he's leaving. Um, on the other hand, I think there will be additional losses if the language is overturned um, among folks in the U.S. and elsewhere. I don't know how widespread they'll be. I don't know what the opportunities will be um, as far as outside the U.S. when disaffiliation has not been allowed to, to be an option. Um, and of course, we have bishops in other parts of the world, including Africa and the Philippines, who are very determined to keep their conferences in. So I, it's a little cloudier for me. I think there's definitely going to be people that leave, but how many of the institutional pieces leave congregations, conferences, I don't know. Something worth acknowledging. We've, we've already covered a good gamut of um, left-leaning liberalizing petitions that are going to be before the general conference. Um, the protocol for, uh, I always forget the long uh, name, peaceful separation and, and reconciliation, that is still going to be submitted. It's on the table for general conference approval, and um, it's, it's being presented as dead on the water, but it might be... Um, worth talking about uh, again. I noticed that Paul Stallsworth, um, who is the head of um, a conservative caucus group, he uh, submitted something. Are there any conservative-friendly legislative petitions that would be worthy of calling attention to or centrist? Any, any other interesting legislative efforts that we should acknowledge? I think Paul's is worth maybe raising because it raises something bigger, and that is that one of the problems we've had over the last number of years is we've simply had this language in the discipline, you know, incompatible language. And in other places, we've had language that prohibits ordination and, and, and appointment and so forth. But we've not had a theological and biblical foundation for those things. 
in the discipline to say why. Why is it incompatible or isn't it? Why would such people not be uh, permitted to be ordained? And Paul's, I think, is an attempt to do that. The, the one that he submitted to substitute for, I think it's paragraph 161G, he tries to give a biblical and a theological foundation for retaining the traditional perspective. And whether or not you agree with that, I think that's a big lack that needs to be filled no matter who, what the direction is. I mean, whether it's a more progressive way, what, is the, what are the theological and biblical foundations for the position going forward? So, for example, in the new social principles that have been proposed and in some of the uh, petitions as well, we see the removal of male and female, but we see the retention of the idea of one of two persons, just keeping it to two persons. This gets back to something that Lonnie, I think, referred to. Well, the question is why? What's the theological and biblical foundation for retaining uh, a simple monogamous relationship between two persons? Why, why not allow for the polyamorous or polygamous approach, which is a real issue in parts of Africa? You know, it doesn't seem to be a real issue. Well, we have a bunch of cable shows now, so it's growing in the U.S., so who knows? But the point is, once you have said that, say, Genesis 1 and is no longer prescriptive, as indicating God's purpose in creating us male and female for each other, as it says in our marriage service, um, then why keep it to just two people? So, but the point is, there needs to be a theological and biblical foundations for these things. We don't have all; we just have stuff that's in there as legislation. Lonnie, I don't know if you'd agree with that or not. I, I would agree with that by and large, Joe. I, I would point out that there have been some pockets of attempts uh, to. Uh, rationalize or justify, I, I would say, the the more progressive, as it's called, position on this. And the thing that comes to mind is Mel Talbert, uh, uh, Bishop now, rest in peace, uh, but uh, he his phrase was uh, biblical obedience. And I, th I think it was used as a substitute for what I would call ecclesial disobedience, uh, but uh, it, it was uh, trying to put it in a positive slant rather than a negative, but uh, what he was, what his theology was was in, intending to say there was that uh, there is a, an interpretive way of using the Bible to support the position of inclusion, inclusion uh, that rather than rely on the letter of any particular piece of scripture. Which, when you do that, of course, you know there. They're all universally um, in favor of the conservative position. There's no question about that. But the overall theological message, as Talbert and others have been stressing, is the other way, that uh, toward love and inclusion. Um, so th there's been there's been some effort to make a theological foundation there, but not uh, systematically and thoroughly consistent, in my judgment. Yeah, as, as things continue forward, it, it gets more and more difficult to hold everybody together as a, a multiplicity of theologies that are available for understanding the human body and, and sexuality. So um, I, I, we, we need to wrap this up, and there were more—we um, just got done—we we referenced Paul Salsworth's proposal. That, that number was 20024 for people who want to read that on their own. That's, that's somewhat of a one-page systematic theology of human sexuality— there were also some other um, petitions that, that are worth looking at. 20022 is uh, a legislative petition by Junius Dotson, who's not with us 
any longer um, on the next generation UMC. There's a lot more that, that could be covered. So we're going to urge you to go and, and download the ADCA for yourself. That can be found at resourceumc.org, I believe. And there's volume one, volume two, which is actually in two halves. And then the most rele- uh, recent one is uh, the volume three or the supplement. So uh, you can download those in PDF format and do your own word searches on this stuff. But we've, we've done a pretty good job, I think, doing a wide net uh, approach theologically while trying to, I think it's always important to, to understand how people on the other side can justify what they're doing. And the, the, the role that I thought that I would play before now, but I, 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 I think it's important to say, you know, depending on where you're listening, where you're coming in on this at, you might not have the perspective. I'm conservative, I've already said, and I'm, I'm generally not sympathetic with the left-leaning position, but what, what you should get from Lonnie and what I would affirm here is people who are taking the strong position, who are fighting this fight, even knowing the cost that it's going to come at, they really believe this stuff. They believe that God is on the side of those who are advancing the cause of LGBTQIA persons, that um, this new understanding of identity with relation to to sexual desire and and felt gender identity, that all that's real and that God is on one side here and they are going to be on God's side here. So this is something that that a lot of people Mm -hmm. like me are are inclined sometimes to dismiss of, oh, this is just worldliness uh, coming in on the church. And no, this this really is a spiritual reality for a lot of people, and that's why people like me eventually felt like we needed to walk out. It was because we didn't share a, a theological foundation anymore. So this thing that, that Joe has highlighted about having a, a coherent theology of sex that is adopted by the whole church seems like a wise thing to entertain. It's just probably 20 years too late. Um, uh, closing this out, I, I think we need to to pray for the denomination, and uh, I think the prayer that everybody needs to be saying at this point is that um, the fallout would be as as small and harmless as possible. I don't think anybody is wanting a um, a redo of 2016 or 2019 with all the acrimony and uh, Lonnie in a private correspondence. I think you called it bloodletting. I don't think anybody wants that. Maybe a couple people do, but um, just for people who've stuck with us till the end here. Uh, I think I can speak well for everybody in saying we hope that you're praying for everybody to act like adults and be respectful of one another, understanding that that folks just see things very differently. Um, and so I'm I'm hoping for something different. Um, Joe, Lonnie, Odell, any last words before we close? No, just thanks for the uh, opportunity. This seemed this was kind of all over the place, but uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of petitions, and they're all over the place. So, well, we hope it's helpful. Um, we we welcome feedback on this stuff. If we need to do, we are going to have some uh, one or two slots coming that are open. So, if we need to circle back to any of this stuff, do more analysis, write us at plainspokenpod at gmail dot com. Let us know what additional stuff you think needs to get done. And then also, we're just interested in your, your thoughts and feedback on, on what we offered here. So uh, feel free to take a few moments to do that. Pray for the United Methodist Church, and then let us know your thoughts, and we appreciate you being with us. We'll see you guys later.